You are listening to Epic Church San Francisco's podcast. For those of you who took off the entire month of June, welcome back. Glad that you're here. That would include my family. I'm back to normal this week. My wife and kids were gone for about, I don't know, 22 days or so. It seemed like 25 days maybe. And uh, anyway, they're back. So I'm back to normal. It's loud again in the house. We're complaining. We're wrestling. We're doing all the things that make life for us interesting. We are in uh, the third edition, the third week of our Take My Life series. And really what we've said about this series is it's a purpose series for our church. Uh, and part of what we do from time to time is do a purpose series because one of the things I'm very passionate about that's kind of in the DNA of our church is that we want to be a church that really pushes you, to, pushes you towards and helps you pursue the thing that God has for you to do in your life, with your vocation, with your free time, with your money. So, so really, this is a purpose series. And we've been using Nehemiah's life from that, the book with the same name in the Old Testament to say, what is it that God's put on our hearts to pursue individually and then, again, collectively as a church? And so we're going to be back in that this week. Last week, we were in chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. And remember, Nehemiah senses this call from God, like uh, there, there's something wrong in Jerusalem. It's burned down. The gates are torn down, and, and he feels this passion to go and pursue it and to do something about it. And one of the things about his life that we said last week is that he was the cupbearer to the king. And so he needed, if he's going to go to Jerusalem, he needs to get a leave of absence from basically his boss, who um, happens to be the king, which isn't the easiest thing in the world. He gets a leave of absence from the king, gets the permission from the king. And then we said last week, he doesn't just get permission, he gets the influence from the king. So the king writes him this basically a hall pass to go through the province which has the coolest name ever the province is called beyond the river that's a pretty fun name for a province or a town or a city to be called what, what's the name of, oh, it's the one beyond the river no what what's the no that's the name of it it's beyond the river and so nehemiah has the king giving him permission nehemiah has the king giving him influence and one of the first things i want to say this morning is that if god has a specific and unique vision and purpose for your life or for this season of your life which i believe he does, what you and I want are people rallying around that vision with us. We are wanting people to step into that path with us. We want to, to be able to accomplish something together. We want people to be for us, praying for us, using their favor, using their permission, using their influence, right? If you're going to pursue something God has for you, it's probably going to be pretty a, a major thing, right? We said last week, the bigger the vision is, the more steps it takes, and the more people you and I want with us as we pursue what God has for us. One of the great joys in leading our church is knowing that I'm not carrying the baton alone, that there are people that have come alongside me who want to see God do great things. And so we pursue it together. And that's what we need in our lives, people who will join arms with us and move forward together. But those aren't the only people we'll find on that path, right? Those aren't the only people that we'll find along the way as we seek to pursue what it is that God has for us. In fact, I'll have this on the screen, but I think this is true. Every one of us who seeks to accomplish God's vision for our life, will face opposition. Hear this. So if you're like, Ben, I only want to go after things where there's no opposition. Who wouldn't want that, right? How hard is it to score a touchdown if there's no opposition? Hmm? How hard is it to get your thing pushed through in the organization or company if there's no one opposing what it is that you want to do? 
That, that, that's not life. And that certainly isn't the life that, that God has for us. Because any time we seek to pursue the thing that God has for us, there will always be opposition, warring at times against us. Always. Adam and Eve, when the, basically the world has just begun, the serpent starts to oppose them right away. Not too far after that, in the book of Genesis, still right near the beginning of time, Joseph is not just opposed by some enemy. The enemies are his brothers. Everyone faces opposition. Moses faces opposition with the Pharaoh. Daniel and his friends, they face opposition with King Nebuchadnezzar. Paul faces opposition with the Jewish rulers. And ultimately, Jesus will face opposition with the religious leaders. So are you sure that you want to pursue what God has for you? Because let me tell you this. Whatever it is that God has given you for the vision for your future, whatever it is that he wants to make a reality. And remember, we said the common thread, because we're asking all the time, like, Ben, what could this be? I think there's a lot of things it, this could include, and it will be very unique according to your own life and experiences and gifts and on and on and on. But, but I think the two common threads we said, one is that it'll be something in which God will get a lot of glory, meaning that it's such a big thing that if it gets accomplished, you and I won't be able to take credit for it, or at least we better not, right? We, we, we better be careful that we're not, oh, well, look how awesome I am. Um, but it'll be something that God gets much credit. So it's a God-sized kind of thing. And two, not only will God get much glory, but the lives of other people will be majorly impacted for their good. So we're not talking about a vision for our life that's all about us. Usually, um, God will use us as a means to something that he's seeking to accomplish, not simply with us as the end, but usually a means to the end as we pursue the vision that God has for us. But anytime you and I go after the thing that God has for us, there will always be opposition. Let me give you a few categories of the kinds of things or the kinds of people who will oppose you and I seeking to move after and towards the vision God has for our lives becoming a reality. Sometimes just circumstances themselves will oppose us, right? Let's say you're trying to go somewhere, uh, you know, you feel like God's calling you to, say, move to a certain country and begin a ministry or something like that there. Well, if you can only get a three-month visa, but you feel like God's calling you to be there 12 months, your circumstances are opposing you. Or let's say the thing that you want to pursue that you feel like God's got for you is going to take a lot more money than you have. Well, your circumstances will seem to be opposing you in those moments. Sometimes our organizations or companies will be opposing us. It could be the ones that you work for. I mean, how many of you, if you went to your boss, like Nehemiah did with the king and asked for several months off, they'd be like, yeah. And when you get back, it'll be like, you never left. Anybody work for a place like that? No, my staff doesn't either. I'm like, who are you? We're all replaceable, right? Or so it seems. But Nehemiah, he needs that. Sometimes it would be other organizations, not ones we're a part of. But sometimes the big vision God has for our life, there are organizations maybe that, that, that are almost like the gatekeepers to that thing that we want to accomplish. And we need their permission, like he got from the king, or we need their favor. Or we just need their access at times. Um, but then another thing that, that, that maybe it doesn't seem so obvious is sometimes society itself will oppose what it is that God wants to do in our lives. This may not encourage you. This may make you think twice about pursuing what God has for you. But what God has done all throughout history, I believe what God is up to now, the God size or the God kind of things that he places into our lives are usually going to be countercultural. So if you're like me, you struggle with the people-pleasing thing or you have in the past, or, or if you're one of those people like, hey, I really just want to go with the flow. Listen, if everybody would just, if, if the thing that God had for us was just going with the flow, there's no distinction there, right? Who cares? But know that, that usually it's going to be opposite of what the cultural norm is that God has for you. If it was the norm, then there's plenty of people already taking care of it. And why is God calling you to it? 
right? If God has something unique for you, it's usually going to go against culture. So you just need to be aware of that. And then we get to the people in our lives who, unfortunately, especially when those people are close to us, who are going to oppose what God has for us. Maybe a family member. And let's be honest, when it's that second cousin or that deranged aunt from afar, it doesn't really matter what they think. But when it's our mom or dad or when it's our husbands or our wives or our boyfriends or our girlfriends or our kids, that's a very different story, isn't it? Because no matter how we are, if we have a relationship with our parents, we want them to be for us. We still want their approval. And, and sometimes what, what people find, both with their moms and dads and with a spouse in particular, a husband or a wife, what they find is, is their own closest family members opposing what the vision is that they at least assume God has for their lives. There's a couple of different categories. Let's just talk about the parent one for a moment. So, some of us in the room, we come from Christian families, and so we have parents who want what God wants for our life. They want it for their life. They want it for our lives. Now, they'll probably ask us a couple of hard questions, right? They want to make sure that we're, uh, we know what we're getting into. They hopefully will pray for us. But in the end, those kind of parents will say, hey, I want you to go after what God has for you, and I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to do what I can to help make that happen. However, some of us in the room don't come from Christian families. And so it's not that our families or our parents are against what it is God's doing in our life or what we're thinking we need to pursue, but it's just that they don't understand it. It doesn't necessarily make sense to them why you would do the thing that you're seeking to do. But then there's a third category that I think is most dangerous as I talk to more and more people. So many people will say this to me, Ben, my parents claim to be Christians. And then I know I need to brace my ears at that moment. I I, I just know I need to, to tune in a little bit more focused to what they're about to say. Then my parents claim to be Christians, but a couple of things. I never see them live out their faith in Christ. And they think I'm crazy for not doing what's rational or what makes the most common sense instead of doing what I feel like God's calling me to do. Those are very difficult scenarios, right? They're all unique things. Like if you have a parents who want God's thing played out, his story written in your life, that kind of thing. They want you to pursue God's purpose. That's awesome. And, and the other people, it's not, you, you can't hold that against the second category. You can't really hold it against your parents because if God hasn't won over their heart, they're not going to understand the kinds of things that you're talking about and the kinds of things that you're referencing. But the hard part is when you have a mom or dad or even a spouse who goes, you know what? I'm a Christian, but I just don't think I'd ever go for something like that especially when you don't see faith played out in their life. And let's just be honest, whether this is a self-check or checking the people around us, if faith isn't displayed in our lives, then it really doesn't matter what religion we mark on a card or a census survey. So it can be difficult when those people begin to oppose us. And another thing, don't let this weird you out, but anytime God's up to something in the world, Satan always opposes that. Always opposes that. Because remember, the two common elements are this, that God would get much glory Do you know why Satan became Satan, essentially? Didn't want to give God glory and wanted glory for himself. So is he going to be for us doing things that give God much glory? No. The second element, the second common thread is this, that the lives of other people would be impacted. Do do you think Satan's going to want God to win over the hearts of other people's lives through your life? Absolutely not. So whatever it is you and I pursue that God has for us, there will always be opposition. And the question I want to start with for some of you is this, is it possible that you've set aside or laid down the vision God had for your life, a particular thing, because the opposition seemed too fierce and difficult. In this room, I'm guessing it's highly probable that some of us have. 
So, some of us have set aside what God had for us. Some of us had laid, had laid down. And so what I want to do is, is really learn from Nehemiah. If you um, are, are new to leadership in life or if you are a seasoned leader, we all have room to grow in our leadership. Nehemiah, even if you're not a Christian this morning, Nehemiah gives us some incredible leadership lessons. So I want to turn to the next segment and addition in this story, Nehemiah chapter 2. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. Those will be distributed to you. Got quite a few up here at the front, back corner. Nehemiah chapter 2, we left off in verse 8. Nehemiah, I think we're on page 255 in those Bibles. Uh, The rest of us, Nehemiah is between Ezra and Esther. It's an Old Testament book. Last last week, what we we looked at in verses 1 through 8 of Nehemiah chapter 2 was Nehemiah needed to go to Jerusalem. In order to do so, he needed the permission of the king. He also received the influence of the king, that basically a hall pass to pass through the province. He also received timber from the king's forest so that he might use that as material for rebuilding Jerusalem. And so everything's going well for Nehemiah. The king is giving his permission. Remember, when he approaches the king, Nehemiah is deathly afraid. The king says, yes, the king gives permission. The king gives his favor. The king gives his influence. And then we get to verse nine. Would you stand with me? We're going to read a couple of sections out of chapter 2 while we're still standing. And then we'll be in Nehemiah the rest of the time, so just keep your place. We'll read verses 9 and 10, and then we'll jump to 17, but I'll clue you in along the way. So he's just gotten the good stuff from the king. Verse 9, it says, Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite's servant heard this, It displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Pause for a moment. So these two guys are angry that some man has come to seek the good, the peace, the prosperity, the welfare of the people of Israel. So why why would that offend them? Who knows? Um, So what Nehemiah is going to do before we get to verse 17, he's going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to wait a few days before he tells anyone what God put on his heart to do. And then in verse 17, he comes to the Jewish officials and here's what he says. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant, and now they've added a third, Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. You may be seated. And again, keep your Bibles open to Nehemiah. We'll be in chapters 4 and 6 as well. Really looking at the theme of the opposition that he faced and the opposition that you and I will face. And so right off the bat, there's these two guys, that uh, Samballad and Tobiah, that are upset that Nehemiah has come to put together Jerusalem, put back together Jerusalem to, to make it a secure city, to make sure that the, that the people would be protected. He's passionate about this. These guys get wind of it, and they're upset about it, which is a little bit mind-boggling. 
But remember, I said, Nehemiah is this incredible leader. He can show us much about how to lead the teams that we lead. If you lead anything, if it's a department or an organization. And, and all of us have been in that place where the leader's trying to rally us to some cause, right? Half of you are on your iPhones. Half of you working on your other stuff. Nobody's listening. And, and the leader gets up there and they try to find a way as you and I sit in these meetings. Or maybe you're the one on the stage sharing with your team or sharing with your whole organization. You're trying to find a way. How do I rally this team? How do I awaken the apathy that's in them? How how, how do I build their confidence that we can pursue this huge deal? Well, Nehemiah is going to do that too in verse 18. How's he going to do it? How's Nehemiah going to build the confidence of those that he wants to be in this with him? Is he going to show them the blueprint and say, hey, here's a great strategy. We can go for it. Is Nehemiah going to say to them, here's my resume. I'm awesome. It's going to happen. Some of you go that route. Be careful. Nehemiah doesn't do that. Look what he does in verse 18. He's trying to instill confidence, and here's what he does. He says, I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also the words that the king had spoken to me. Do you hear what he's saying? Nehemiah is going to answer a question for them that you and I need to be asking anytime, whether it's, are we going to be a part of a church? Some of you are still trying to, uh, you, you know, you're visiting churches, trying to make your mind up about that. Are, are we going to join into a cause? Or are we going to, to link up with some a vision or some mission thing going on in the world? The question you and I need to ask always in those moments is this, is God in it? Is God in it? So what Nehemiah does, he doesn't say, hey, look how great the plan is. Look how great the leader is. He just says, hey, let me tell you, God's in this thing. So he tells them that, that God's good hand is on me. And then he gives them an example. And he says, hey, just so you know, the king that I was deathly afraid to approach, God is so in this thing that the king not only gave me permission, he handed me his influence. What I will seek to do before we share a vision with you as the church at large, as our staff begins to try to figure out what does God have for us? I will make sure that we want to pray through so that you can get the correct answer. When you go, hey, Ben, do you really believe God's in this? I want to be able to stand up and say, hey, I don't know if he's guaranteeing this, but the greatest sense I get that God is in this thing. So let's jump in. That's what Nehemiah does. That's what he does to build confidence. That's what he does to get people on the team. That's what he does to get people to roll up their sleeves and begin to work here. He's he's incredible. He's an incredible leader. And what he does to build their confidence is say, hey, just so you know, God's in this. Because isn't that what we really should all want to give our lives and our time and our energy to the things that God is up to? When we get into the flow of what God's doing, success, though it may not happen like we think, it's going to happen. When when you and I get into the flow of what God's up to. So as you decide, what are you going to join in on? What are you going to approach? Who who are you going to link up with? The question you and I need to to, to know is, is God in it? And so that's the the question that, that they're asking. Because here's the thing. If you and I can know in the bottom of our heart that God is in something, we will be able to handle adversity, criticism, conflict, and opposition. However, if you're unsure if God's in it, if you think maybe this is just my thing, when opposition comes, you're going to walk off the path. 
When opposition comes, I'm going to walk off the path. I need to know that there's going to be so much in some of our situations, so much opposition that if we aren't convinced God is in it, we will, as opposition begins to mount against us, we will leave the path we believe God has for us because we will be paying too much attention to the opposition. And that's what Nehemiah is starting to have to deal with. And so the the, the opposition says to him in verse 19 of chapter 2, what is this thing you're doing? They say to him, are you rebelling against the king? Are you rebelling? Are you going against? Are, are you in opposition to the king? Now, Nehemiah knows what the king's role is in this, right? Nehemiah knows that the king is in favor. Nehemiah knows the king is given permission. The king has handed his influence. He's given him his timber. He knows the truth. But these guys are trying to find a way to derail Nehemiah from pursuing the vision God has for Nehemiah. Have you and I given in to the opposition who's trying to derail the vision God has for our lives? Have we set aside the vision to pursue something more rational, something more common sense? You oftentimes, what you don't see God doing all throughout the scriptures, sometimes at least, is is doing what would just make the most logical sense. Sometimes God's doing things that makes makes no sense to us. But if you don't know if God's in it, then you and I will, it'll be impossible to overcome the opposition that we face. Um. If you go to chapter 4, verses 7 through 9, just continuing with this whole opposition idea, I want you to see a, a, a few things there, and, and the text will be on the screen or, or just a couple pages over, maybe, in your Bibles. It says, But when these same guys, Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites, heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. A few things I want you to see that I think are brilliant, and, and maybe we can pose some questions to ourselves out of this. In verse 7, it says that the enemies of Nehemiah, they understood that the vision was moving forward. Are those opposing you, are they able to stifle the vision moving forward? Will you and I, regardless of what is opposing us or who is opposing us, whether it's people close to us or it's an organization or we just think the devil himself literally is against what we're seeking to do, which is true. Will we keep moving forward? Remember what I said last week, the bigger the vision God has for us, the more steps. So we've been taking steps. You see, the question is not for all of us in this room. The question is not, does God have a vision for our lives? The question may not be, do I know the vision for God has for my life. The question may not even be, have I started taking the steps God has as a vision for my life? The question may be, will I keep taking the steps God has for me in spite of who's going to oppose me or what's going to come against me? Romans 8.31, we just got out of this series last month. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not with him give us all things? If you and I know that God is in it, who's going to overcome his sovereignty and his authority? No one. No one. And so it says the vision kept moving forward. Verse 8, they're plotting against him. They're trying to fight. They're causing confusion. And I love what Nehemiah did as a great leader. So many times what I see people do is 100% spiritual and 0% uh, practical or wisdom, where they'll just say, hey, I think God's going to take care of it, so I'm just going to sit here and do nothing. Uh, That's unspiritual and it's lazy, all right? I see other people that are 100% practical and no spiritual. They're like, hey, I can handle this. This is about me. I've got to take care of it myself. And they never invoke God. Look at what Nehemiah does in verse 9. Nehemiah's first response is always to invite God into the scene. Great lesson, leaders. I don't care what you lead. If it seems spiritual or unspiritual, invite God into the mix as a first response. He invites God in by praying, but he doesn't stop there, does he? 
He doesn't say Nehemiah prayed and he thought God would take care of the rest. You see, we preach all the time here that there, there's God's part and there's our part. Now, now, God's the major part. We're the minor part, just so we're all clear with that. God's the hero, so I hope you and I are okay with being supporting actors and actresses. He's the, he's the main character, okay? If, if, if you want to be the main character, you've got to settle for a, a, a less than, than, than adventurous faith story. Um, but, but what Nehemiah wants is God's favor, so he prays to God, but then he also exercises faith and he puts a guard to guard not just the wall in Jerusalem. Do you know what he's ultimately guarding? He's ultimately guarding the vision God has given him. And if you don't guard the vision God's given you, nobody else is going to guard it for you. Can you imagine if I didn't guard the vision God had given me for our church? That anytime anyone had an opinion about what we needed to do as a church, that's the direction we went in. I mean, think about it. If I let anyone hijack the vision God has for us, we might be meeting like at midnight on Thursdays because they thought that would be awesome, right? We might be preaching out of the USA Today. I mean, just think, if, if, if I was like, now, now this is very different than having people that are pursuing what God has for you collectively that are speaking into it, even calling you out at times. But it's one thing to listen to people that are speaking wisdom when I know that they are for what God's doing in our midst. It's quite another thing to listen to someone that's opposing what God is doing. And you need to be clear and careful who you give the loudest voice to in your life. Who's speaking loudest into the thing that you're pursuing? Is it your opponents? Sometimes we think that we have to answer every critic, and Nehemiah does at times. But some of us in this room are giving way too much time and energy and attention to people who are in opposition to what God's doing in our life. And what we need to do is say, hey, thanks for sharing your opinion, but we need to be listening first to God and what he's up to, what sense we're getting from God. And secondly, to people that are for us and for what God wants to do. Those people, let them ask you the hard questions. Let them ask me and give input to the difficult things uh, in, in our lives. I think we need to be about that. Well, we've got to guard the vision God had given us, has given us. In verse 15 of chapter 4, Nehemiah says, When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. He's saying when they realized that, 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 that it wasn't going to work, we kept working. We kept moving the vision forward. A lot of you know a little bit of the story, so let me recap how you and I are sitting in this room this morning, and then I'll give you something that I've never shared publicly with anyone. In fact, I think my wife and, and our staff are the only people that know what I'm about to tell you. So if you're into new news, here it comes, okay? Um, but the old news is this, that uh, we were looking for a space, and this space was shown to us. And as the space was shown to us, we were like, that could really work for the next season of our church. And, uh, but, but they wanted too much for the lease. And so we weren't able to move forward with it at that time. And, and, and then all of a sudden they put the building up for sale and it just so happened we didn't have like $35 million in our bank account. And so, um, uh, no one came forward during that time. I was like, no, really anybody, anybody. Uh, and, and that didn't happen. And so, uh, unbeknownst to us why they had plenty of suitors to buy the church, but, uh, or to buy the building. Uh, but they ended up not selling the building, same owner and landlord kept the building. And then he ended up giving us, uh, a, a deal we thought that was at least somewhat p- possible and a potential, but we still needed the miracle. And, and, and the decision we had to make was last June. So just about a year ago, uh, the leasing decision and, and, and last June, and there's lots of reasons why, uh, it's just the summertime basically, but last June was the lowest attended month we'd ever had in the history of Epic and our four short month history, uh, short four month history. Um, but that was when I had to make the decision. 
that was when I needed to make the decision. And so um, we were getting ready to sign the lease, and here's the part that no one knows. We, we invited a friend of ours to come in to see the space because he's uh, just an expert on audiovisual and graphic design and colors. And so we're like, you know, what carpet for the floor? What should the walls look like? What should we do with the screens, lighting, sound, all those kinds of things because he's really helped us the most since our church got going. Even over at the W Hotel, he really helped us get our first set of equipment and, and things like that. And so um, I happen to be out of town when he comes to see the space. Now, remember, we're about to sign the lease. All I want this guy to do is tell me how things should be arranged and what it should look like and how to make it sound the best. So while I'm gone, he comes, the rest of the staff, they show him the building. And remember, we've, this, this is happening. We just want to know what his opinion is. And the next week he calls me and, and I'm excited. I see his name on my, on my phone and he's a friend of ours. And, and I knew that he had seen the space the week before. So I'm thinking he is going to tell me, hey, I really think the space is awesome. And I really think you should go with this screen and that, this kind of thing for best sound. And you can do this and that with the colors and the carpet and the walls and the lights on and on and on. And he says, hey, Ben, unless you think you've heard clearly from the Lord, there's no way I would ever sign that lease. Too late, dude. For the next hour and a half, I don't know how to describe the anguish that I felt um, internally. But it was about lunchtime, so I, I don't think I ate that day. I just went on a, like a, a prayer walk is the only way I know how to describe it to you. So I just set, set out, and I was just walking down the Embarcadero and walking all through down this area along the water. And I didn't think about jumping in, though that would have made the decision easier. Um, uh, and I just was thinking, God, this, oh, what, what do we do? And do you know what I clung to? The thing that I clung to during that, and this guy's a friend of ours still. He feels terrible about suggesting that now. Um, He's a great friend of ours, and I would still ask his opinion again. But what I had to come back to is so many times throughout the season, from March to June, praying and then being shown the space and then just beginning to get the sense this is what God had for us. I didn't feel like God had guaranteed me that hundreds of people would come. I didn't feel like we'd have necessarily have to go to a second or a third service. I just believed that this was the thing God had for us. And what I had to come back to in that moment was this. Hey, Ben, this guy's a great friend. This guy gave his wisdom. I'm, I'm glad that he gave me his insight. But at the end of the day, I knew in the depths of my heart, because I'd spent time praying and inviting God into this process, I knew this is what God had for us. And so I was able to go, hey, thanks for that. It even caused me to really evaluate the decision more. Um, but at the end of the day, I was like, no, this, this is the thing God has for us. And again, this guy's a friend, and he, he wasn't uh, opposed to what we were doing in an enemy sense, but he, he, he was opposed to us moving forward with the space. And, and the rest is a little bit history. But um, if, if, if I wouldn't have known God was in it, because I value this guy's wisdom a lot, if I wouldn't have sensed that this is the thing God had for us, you and I wouldn't be sitting here this morning. I would have walked out on it. I would have gotten cold feet. But because over those three months, our staff had come to the conclusion, hey, we don't know what will happen. We don't know how people will respond. We just know that this is the thing that we sense God has for us, and we went for it. And that's what you and I need to be about. If God has something for you, who cares who's opposing it? I want to wrap up our part in Nehemiah with chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. If you haven't tuned in yet, it's about to get really good. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, these same enemies show back up. It says, now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, come and let us meet together at Hakafarim in the plain of Anno. But they intended to do me harm. Understand this, whoever's opposing the vision God has for you, they always intend to do you harm. Be careful. Be careful with those, especially those enemies. Verse 3, and I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. 
Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Is it possible that our work, as Nehemiah calls it, our pursuing what God has for us, us chasing after the thing that God's put in the depths of our heart, is it possible that we've stopped that plan, that we've stopped the process of walking down that path? Some of us, I believe, probably have. And this is not about who do we blame or do we feel guilt, but this is about, God, would you reawaken some dreams in the hearts of our people this morning? This is about, God, would you plant us back on the path of pursuing what it is that you've given us? And some of you have never even considered giving your life to what God may have for you regarding purpose, vision, and mission. And my prayer for you is not that you'll be reawakened, but just that God would awaken something in the depths of your spirit. Nehemiah says, why should I come down? Why should I stop working and come down to you? You know, sometimes God will use opposition in our lives. Always, I think, he'll use it to make us more dedicated. That's his plan anyway, to make us more dedicated to the thing that he's calling us to do. But there will be other times when he'll actually use the opposition to accomplish what it is that he wants to do. Do you know that opposition is what gets Jesus to the cross? Do you know that? Do you, do you know that, that Jesus said, one of his kind of main mission statements was that he, he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And do you know that it's his opponents that ultimately get him to the cross? Do you know it was the opposition that arrested him, that beat him, that mocked him, and that ultimately it was his opponents that crucified him? And yet God uses the very opposition that Jesus encounters to win over our hearts. God uses the opposition in Jesus' life so that you and I might have the life that we could have never and still can't have on our own. So that he might grant us mercy. That he might be able to do something permanently about my sin and your sin. And he did. And, and, and in the opposition, that's, that, that's where Jesus accomplishes the mission. That's where it becomes reality. In the opposition, not just because of it, but in the opposition, Jesus accomplishes the thing that he was sent to this earth to do, to win over my heart and yours. A couple of ways I want to ask you to respond this morning, and they're very, very different things. One is this. I believe God's got something unique for every one of us in this room. I also believe some of us have set that down. Some of us need to ask God to reawaken that thing in our lives. Some of us need to ask God to awaken it for the very first time. Listen, if God's in it, if God's leading the way, if God's empowering it, he's able to overcome anything you face. He's able to overcome anything I face, including all the opposition in the world that seems to come against us and rub up against our lives in our pursuits of what God has for us. Second thing, very different side of the coin. Is it possible that some of you in this room are opposing what God's up to in someone else's life? Is that possible? It is possible. But is it possible in your life that you sense God's doing something and you've not intentionally opposed God himself, but you've certainly opposed uh, some of the other things that it seems like God's doing throughout other people's lives? Sometimes we think that, you know, it's not that I'm for God or necessarily against God, but I'm just kind of apathetic towards it or indifferent towards it. Um, Jesus would make quite a few statements in the Gospels um, that would really take the middle ground away. He would say things like this, that if you aren't for me, you, you are against me. Um, and, and, and for all of us, this is where we all begin. 
Um, sin is, goes against the heart of God. Sin is in opposition to God. And so all of us begin here. The Bible says that for all of us have sinned. We've fallen short of God's intention. We've, all, we've also fallen short of God's glory. But what God does is send Jesus for the purpose of reconciling us. But I'm not crazy. I know that some of us in this room, we've never, ever been reconciled to God. That makes us an opponent of God. Like, Ben, that sounds harsh. It just, it's just true. Uh, Jesus said, if you're not for me, you're, you're against me. If, if we're not reconciled to God, then, then, and you're like, Ben, why am I an opponent? Well, um, sin is in opposition to a holy God. Always. 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 And some of you, I, I would just encourage you to embrace this morning and surrender your lives to the God who loved you, created you in his image, in spite of your sin. Remember Romans 5, 8? But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still messing it up, while we were still running away, that's when Christ died for us. He came for us. You and I have a response, though. We have a, will we submit to that? Or will we continue to go, oh, intellectually, I just don't still know if that's true. My prayer is that God would win over your heart. And then for all of us in this room, that God would win over our hearts in, in, in regards to will we pursue our thing or pursue his thing? Will we pursue his thing in spite of opposition? Will we pursue what he has for us regardless of what or who comes against us? And my prayer is, can you imagine if we become a congregation full of individuals who pursue individually and in their relationships and in their jobs and collectively as a church, we pursue what God has for us? I promise you this, if we become that church, it will be the kind of church that people who want what God wants will want to be a part of. And I pray that you would be a responder to that and go, you know what, I want in on that. Remember what Nehemiah did to rally the troops to build their confidence? He, he wanted them to know, the good hand of my God is on me. God is in this. God is for this. God's all over this. I want to lead a church, and I want to invite you to become a part of that church of people who pursue what God could have for us. I don't think there's anything more, more exciting or fulfilling to be free to go after what God wants to do in your life, in my life, and in our church, our city, and our world. Would you pray with me as we conclude the third installment of of this message on opposition.